So I'm just going to jump in this. Lily read the passage. Open your Bibles to um, James chapter 3. The message is a test that can become big problems. Um, some of you guys may read but uh, hopefully you do. And if you don't, I'll tell you it to you. But with great power comes what? Great responsibility, right? Spider-Man episodes said a couple different times in a couple different movies, right? Also, different presidents have said similar types of quotes. But I, this is the most succinct way I could jump into today's message. God has given us this great power, and this great power that he's given us is the tongue. With your tongue, you wield this huge, amazing, big power that you can use to either pray or pollute, bless or curse, build up or tear down, give life or what? Give death. Words. Your tongue is slippery. Many times it's so slippery, what? <clears throat> As you speak words, you reflect what's inside your heart. Um, you show what's inside your heart. You display what's inside your heart. So your dissatisfaction could come out. Your bitterness comes out. Really, the real you is displayed with your tongue. And so it's pretty easy for the most part to know how we're doing because of the things we say, or even maybe the things we don't say. James, um, in James, the book of James, broader, um, he cares about how his family, his Jewish believers are growing in Christ. He wants to affirm that they have saving faith, but also, more importantly, that they have living faith. They're living it out. He wants to know that they have been saved by the gospel, but also are sanctified by the gospel, that they're truly living gospel-centered lives. And so he's concerned about their maturity in Christ. As we looked at trials, temptations, and tribulations in chapter 1, in the chapter 2, we looked at this foundational reality that true faith, what? Works. It's a dynamic faith that works itself out. It displays itself <coughs> not just intellectually and emotionally, but it also moves itself out volitionally. And we looked at Rahab and Abraham and saw how they demonstrated faith and were justified by that faith. And then Mike Nugent preached, and he talked about the sin, basically, of being and exercising favoritism. Many times we can tell um, our struggle with favoritism by what? Who we talk about the most or who we want to talk about the most. And that could be well and good, but also could be problematic, also sinful. And so <clears throat> what James is doing here is now going to chapter three and he's saying, hey, our tongue is this metaphor or picture of the true indication of our heart. And he's saying, if you are growing in Christ, as you exercise faith and action, you'll show maturity and control over your tongue, over the words that come out of your mouth. Oh, this is a fairly long passage, but it's packaged very nicely with illustrations that come straight from this passage. And in James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12, we're going to be equipped to use our tongue to yield it to the Spirit of God and the Word of God for what? 
God's glory. And he's going to give us six pictures in here with a tongue. He's going to relate it to a bit, a rudder, a fire, a poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree, and also a grapevine. And he's going to take these six pictures and subcategorize them in three a sub- subcategorizing, just delineating the different powers of the tongue. One is directional power, the other is destructional power, and then lastly, delightful power. Um, last week when I was going to preach this, we had a hurricane coming from Florida up here, and you know we <laughs> we make our responses toward the hurricane, and we you know get our generators, we get our candles, we get our lights, and everything, and that's what we do. So, in view of last week's thoughts, I, I outlined this uh, message in three cats. Cat one, cat two, and cat three. Category one, category two, and category three. Just for the sake of connecting to this world that we're into. In. So, um, we're just going to continue to jump in. Um, basically, James is using a common Jewish literary device by, descri- by attributing blame to a specific bodily member. In this particular case, he's choosing the tongue, which personifies and demonstrates and manifests the true nature of our heart, which is um, our human depravity and our wickedness and wretchedness, basically delineating really the true condition of our human heart here. And so as we look at the first cat, cat one, we're going to look at directional power. Directional power verse in verses one through four. James begins with a warning in verse one. He says, not many of you should become teachers. The word teacher refers to match, masters, refers to basically an official teaching role in life of the church in the first century, whether it's teaching or preaching. It's understood to be this clear uh, teaching role. In other words, it's someone who what? Speaks a lot of words. That's what you do in teaching. So t- <coughs> James writes in, in a with a heart of compassion to his family. How do I know that? Because in the middle of verse one, he goes, my brothers. He's speaking with compassion. He's not coming down on them hard. I don't know if they had pulpits and banged it. He wasn't doing that, but he spoke with concern and compassion. Why? I, I think because he sees his brothers and sisters struggling um, in the diaspora, living out their faith. And I I believe as they're going through trials and tribulations, it became very evident to James that they're struggling because in their trials and tribulations, their words showed where their heart was. They were probably grumbling and complaining and angry and upset. A lot of times, you could be upset with God and you take it out with your family and your spouse. You take it out against other people. Um, <clears throat> but their words um, weren't pleasing. Um, and so James wants to address that. And he begins with teachers here. And he says with teachers here in verse 1, My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay? Those who teach will have a greater accountability with God. Every human being will face God one day, whether you're a believer or non-believer. Um, we all face the what? The great white throne judgment. That uh, judgment on the basis that we have trust Jesus Christ as Savior and, or Lord. Um, it goes in into the, 
the book of life. If your name is the book of life, you'll go to heaven. If your name is not in the book of life, you will go into the smoking section of eternity, which is also known as hell. But there's also another judgment that only believers will face, and that's called the Bema Seat. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, where every believer will be tested um, <coughs> and re- rewarded accordingly. And so this judgment is <coughs> that James is referring is unique to teachers. It's a stricter judgment that <coughs> every teacher will face. And so James puts this first caution out um, with regard to directional power. As teachers teach, whether they're good teachers or bad teachers, true prophets or bad or false prophets, they they wield an influence that could bless lives or destroy lives. And so the main point that I believe that James is trying to draw out here is that teachers, teachers of the word particularly have a high calling, a high responsibility and a high accountability. And so as you look at verse two, James broadens his audience from teachers to all people. And he says, for we all stumble in many ways. And he's basically saying, hey, every person stumbles. Everyone sins uh, habitually and falls um, with and fails and sins with their words. We see that James points specifically to our tongue point. And he says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Uh, There's a couple options to look at um, perfect body here. Um, And so I'll just kind of put out both of them for you to, to munch theological thoughts on. On the first one, this may refer to perfect in a sense of this person has uh, true perfection, in which case James is saying there's <coughs> hypothetically, it, <coughs> if you are a perfect man, you're able to what? Control your words perfectly. But the point I believe he's trying to say is none of us are perfect men and none of us are able to naturally control our words perfectly. We all stumble. <clears throat> and he says that. We all stumble according to this passage. So I, I take a, a latter position here. More likely this word perfect is describing a person who is spiritually mature, who is growing in Christ, whose heart has been made anew, regenerated in Christ, and <clears throat> is being gripped by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working in this person and to the point that they are maturing with what? Tongue control, right? Spirit control, tongue, and words coming out of the life. And so um, it's, I'll say it's gospel-driven, grace-filled speech when the Word of God and Spirit of God is at work in someone's heart. And so that is where James is driving at as he is talking about directional power. And he gets very specific at what directional power looks like. And we'll call it the power of the bit to direct. Um, I don't know if any of you have rid- ridden a horse. Any of you guys in this room? A little, you know, some of you guys have. All right. I never like rode in freedom. Mine was like at these little children's things where they're strapped down the horse. 
to go round and round in one area. So they were not just tamed. They were super tamed because they just were stuck in this thing that goes around. But that's my church ride. I mean, not church, my horse riding experience. So in James 3, 3, James explains this, how something small can have impact on something large. And so in verse 3, James says, if we put bits, a bit, into the mouth of a horse so that they obey us, the rider of the horse, we guide the entire bodies as well. We, <coughs> this little bit, this little, you know, it's pretty small uh, <coughs> piece of metal you place in the mouth of a horse. It controls and directs the whole horse. Um, this small little bit is made out of metal and is placed in the mouth of the horse and it's able to direct, steer, and control adult horses. I found out that adult horses can weigh a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, some of them are in the a thousand pounds, and even some of the biggest horses near and rival almost 2,000 pounds. So that's just a big, big horse. And so the whole point is what? This little piece of metal is able to direct a 2,000 pound horse, navigating it to go fast, to slow, to turn right, to turn left. And the whole point that James is making our small little mouth has the power to direct the course of life, um, whether for good or for evil. And he gives another illustration here. He says the power of the rudder, <coughs> there's a power of rudder to direct. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a boat, but I'll ask that question. Have you guys ever been on a boat, a cruise, an ocean liner? None of those bigger or funner things. All right. <laughs> but there's boats in the time of Jesus, and they're able to think through, hey, there's an illustration right there. I'm um, sitting there on the Sea of Galilee. And James makes a point in verse 4, look at the ships. Also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever, <coughs> wherever the will of the pilot directs. So as a, as a pilot directs the ship by turning the rudder, whether it's left or right, to whatever degree, to guess what? The whole entire ship goes the direction the, the rudder guides it. So both the bit and the rudder are small in comparison to what it steers. And so James is driving this point hard. <clears throat> Your tongue, though small, has big time directional power. During World War II, <laughs> we were accustomed to seeing posters um, that would read, what? Loose lips sink ships. Um, likewise, today, loose lips could wreck lives. Loose lips, what? Can destroy relationships. Loose lips can, what? Destroy businesses, churches, all kinds of stuff. And so that's just a picture of directional power that your tongue yields. And there's so many illustrations that you just go down the road with. And so we're going to shift now to cat two. Cat two is destructional power from dire directional power to destructional power. Um, so we're going to look at two examples of destruction here in verses five through eight. So we see the power of fire. James chapter three, verse five. James makes a point to say it only takes a spark to what? Get a fire, get a forest going. So also the tongue is a small member. 
yet it boasts of great things. And so the tongue is very interesting, and (coughs) we'll get to the fire part, but the tongue often has this tendency to boast of great things, whatever it may be. And it could choose to boast of great things and boast of our great Lord and how amazing and how great our God is. And that's what it's made for, and that's why God gave us a tongue. But when our heart is linked to our sinful tendency, we usually boast about ourself, number one. And it comes in the most subtle ways. Like, I just did fill in the blank. I mean, even pastors are kind of interested. We sit in little pastor gatherings, and we're trying to have this cool fellowship. And sometimes I'm wondering if we're boasting or having fellowship. And so like we say, how big your church is? And like, oh yeah, mine's 100. Oh, mine's 50. Um, how many people you baptized? Oh, one. Oh, six. So like, it's just kind of this weird, like, are we boasting or giving praise to the Lord? And so our, our tongue tends to boast. And many times it always puts a slant onto us to make us what? Look good, right? Um, so that's the nature of how our tongue works. We, we boast and we have this tendency to be self-centered. Um, with our boasting. And so <clears throat> done in the wrong way could have uh, problematic. Uh, there's all these thoughts because there's so many illustrations. I, I, I've seen parent after parent talk in the lobby about their kids. I don't know if this is an encouraging thing or like, you know, comparing SAT scores or where your kids get into school. It's like, is this really encouraging and edifying way to spend your time between Sunday school and service? Or, or, or what? Um, most of you guys uh, know that I am from California, and one thing California is known for, it's fires. And so we see in the middle part of verse 5 says, How great a forest is set ablaze with such a small fire. Every fire starts what? usually very small, with a spark, a match. Someone who says, you know, here's a cigarette and throws it into a pile of leaves, or sometimes it just starts intentionally, or sometimes it's, you know, people <laughs> just are careless with the fireworks. But I, I'm very familiar with fires in California. When we lived there and since moving back, every summer I just look at these little maps in the summertime. California is burning in the north, the south and the east, but never in the west, because why? That's the ocean. There's no fire in the Pacific. I remember one time we were going on vacation, like, where to go? I already took a week off. We wanted to go north. There's fires. We wanted to go south. There's fires. We wanted to go east. There's fires. So we basically had a staycation. We went like 20 minutes from our house and went to Vacaville. No one goes to Vacaville for vacation, but that's what we did. It's a small little area, like saying, I want to go to, I don't know, New... Yeah, may have been for vacation or something like that. That would be fair. Um, so anyways, we know what fires look like, and it only takes a spark. I remember a time I, my brother and I were playing with fire. Our side neighbor, our neighborhood next to us, or the land next to us, was this a was land and a lot of dry bush. It would be green in the spring and dry out in the fall. And so we were playing with matches and we dropped a match into the fire and into the, into the dry bush area. And it just went fast. 
and like we had no water or anything, so we're trying to stomp it out. <laughs> and like it's going really fast. So my brother and I are like breathing hard and trying to stomp out the fire. And we thought, oh no, our heart was starting to sink. We're starting to sweat because the fire is just expanding. Like we're we gonna burn this whole field up. But eventually we were very able to stop it out. But I was like dreading this, like, oh, talking to the fire department or what I had to say to my dad, but we finally got it out. But it was clear that there was this burnt area <laughs> in the field now that we created. Anyways, what James is pointing, he's just really good with his illustrations. James is making a comparison in verse six. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And so what your tongue does, it basically has the capacity to defile and to stain. It basically pollutes and contaminates. It also, we see in verse six, um, it, it sets setting on fire the course of life and set, and set on fire by hell. There's a lot to be said here, but your, your words, um, I know some people have, we have different levels of how our words affect others. And I've seen the worst examples, destroy churches, or I've seen someone who's just really prone to just constantly gossip where they thought, oh, I have great relationships but they would gossip about each other. Eventually they found out and the person had a lot of friends. And once they destroyed all their friends, they had no friends over time. It was this really, really sad. And so James makes this really interesting illustration. And he says, he says that your tongue, <coughs> sets a fire into the, entire course of your life. And he uses hell as an illustration. Outside of Jerusalem, <coughs> there's this area called the Valley of Hinnom. And it was referred to as, as Gehenna. And it's basically a dump being ground for, for garbage and for dead bodies. And it was just constantly burning um, all the time, burning the garbage from Jerusalem and, and also the dead bodies. And it was a good picture of what hell was like, just constantly burning, 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 burning. And James is basically saying, that's kind of what our tongue is like. It's this ongoing source of evilness and wickedness coming out, burning and spewing out of your mouth. One commentator said of this passage, he's, um, AJ said this, if our tongue were so well under control that it diffused, no, excuse me, that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the image of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. The control of the tongue is more than evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it. I wanted to read that very slow so it sinks in very well. Um, <clears throat> at Essentially, at your heart, you have the ability, by God's grace and the gospel, to extinguish the evil um, by God's grace. And as God works in your life, <clears throat> the gospel works in your life, you 
He wants to bear spiritual fruit of humility, of gratitude, of peace, of holiness, of wisdom that would come out of your mouth. Here in verse 7, James makes another fascinating illustration. It's really graphic as he pulls out illustration. In verse seven, uh, 7, he alludes to uh, an animal, a poisonous animal. So in verse 7, we see, he says this, For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So, real practically, some animals can be tamed or subdued. We think of dogs. We alluded to um, horses earlier. Dolphins could do dolphin shows. Eagles could, you know, fly around and come back. Yet, <coughs> animals are, are dangerous and poisonous. Some of them are like, what, snakes or spiders that could be very poisonous and have the capacity to, to poison, just like our tongue. In contrast, in verse 8, um, James says, No human being can tame the tongue. Outside of Christ, James makes a pretty strong statement across the board. He says, No human being can tame the tongue. He says, It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is saying it is literally impossible for a human being to control the tongue apart from the grace of God. And sometimes I think of like those who don't know Christ, usually you can pretty much see it. They can't control their tongue in one way or another. Um, but for Christians, they show their maturity and immaturity by how they control their tongue too. So that's evident. Um, <clears throat> James, um, well, Warren Wordsby says this, James reminds us that animals can be and for that matter, a fire can be tamed. When an animal is tamed, guess what? You get a worker instead of a destroyer. I thought that was profound. And when a fire is controlled, it could generate power. The tongue cannot be tamed by man, but it can be tamed by the grace of God in your life. And so we'll move on um, just to sake of time. Cat number three, cat three, um, <clears throat> delightful powers, um, verses nine through 12. So we look at the power of the tongue to direct and destroy. Now we're going to look at the power of the tongue to delight. We see a picture of a fountain here in verses nine and 10. This is very straightforward. Doesn't need much explanation here in verse nine. With what? With it, with the tongue. With it, we the Lord and Father. And with it, referring to the tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Your tongue only does one of two things. It blesses the Lord or curses others who are made in the likeness of God. I think he's pointing that out because he's saying, hey, every human being is made in the likeness of God. And literally, he's basically implying that you are cursing God's creation. And verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And with great compassion and concern for their maturity, James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. We should not have blessing and cursing coming out of our mouth. And he makes his point super clear in verse 11. Does a spring pour forth, pour forth 
(coughs) from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? And we know the answer is no, right? From the same fountain, (coughs) from a fountain, you're supposed, especially a, a fresh fountain, you get fresh water. And from a bad fountain or salty fountain, you get what? Salt water. And he's, he's drawing down to our spiritual lives. If we are indeed born again and Christ is working in life, fresh water should be coming out of our mouth. If it's mixed and contaminated, what does that mean? Either we're dead in our sin still, or we're living a compromised life. And that's why we have both coming out of our mouth. It's mixed. And we also see another picture, uh, the power of a fig tree or a grapevine. James used very practical illustrations here, very easy to understand. Can a fig tree, my brothers, again, he speaks with so much compassion. (coughs) My brothers, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Obviously not, right? Olives aren't, don't come (coughs) from fig trees. From fig trees, you expect what? Figs. Or a grapevine produced figs? No, grapevines are supposed to produce what? Grapes. And so again, neither can salt water yield, salt pond yield fresh water. So he's, he's wanting us to look really hard and examine our lives. Um, please get ready, Cody and Rebecca. Um, <coughs> and so um, he's exposing our inconsistency, if not our hypocrisy in our lives. And so he is really asking, do, does our faith match our, our lives? Um, does the Christ we proclaim, um, <laughs> correspond in how we live out the gospel? So I'm going to hit you with a few examples as we land. Um, again, quote, With great power comes what? Great responsibility. With this tongue that God has given us, with this great power comes what? Great responsibility. So a few applications. With our tongue, we could do one really significant thing. With our tongue, we could confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. That's the first step you can take is trust Jesus Christ as your Lord, and be saved. You confess him as Lord. That's a huge step, huge deal you can use uh, with your mouth. Confess him as Lord. One. Two, um, there's a book of words that can transform your lives. Literally train yourself in some of these basics. Train yourself and train your kid, train your church, train your family. How to use the word please. Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm praying for you. It, com- it conveys a lot of, I would say, common courtesy, but I would say a gospel or community that says that we're not self-centered. We're living for God, and we know that our life is not our own. But these words go a long ways to transform your own life. And just ask yourself some simple questions. Do you say thank you much? Or you just live life as this, I deserve whatever. And if you don't get it, you just live what? An embitter, embittered, grumbly, <laughs> grumbly life. Do you say thank you to your parents, to your friends, 
to your pastor, to your small group leader, to the person that drives you to church every week, to the person that shops for you, to the people that you expect that they're supposed to do this for you every week, to those who are suffering, do you pray for them? Not to say, I pray for you. Some things to consider. Um, God has given us a mouth that we would share the gospel. He's given the mouth as a mouth that we would share the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? He's given a mouth that we might share the gospel. May that rest in our thinking. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Trace, raise, raise your hand when you see them in the water. <laughs> Thank you. Well, they call on him, Jesus Christ, in whom they have not heard. And how are we to believe in him, Jesus Christ, in whom we have not heard? And how are we to hear without someone preaching, using to share? How are they to believe unless? How beautiful are the feet who what? Preach the good news. We must share the good news, and God has given us a mouth to do so. Psalm 50. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty heaven. The Lord has given us a mouth, what? To praise Him. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His great, His excellent greatness. God has given us what? Mouths to praise Him. May we come together to verbalize praise to Him. We, <laughs> I want you to know our mouth and heart are rigged for praise. We will either praise our God or praise ourselves or other things in this world. And so may we not squander the fact that maybe some of our parents force us to learn piano or learn some instrument. May we redeem that to praise God, right? Um, and the big point, the verse six, let everything that has what? Praise the Lord. The Lord has given us our mouth that we might praise him. In Colossians chapter four, verses two to six, Paul makes this his prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with what? Thanksgiving. In this life, it will be hard and difficult. And Paul says that we need to be watchful to give thanksgiving. At the same time, also pray for us that God may what? Open the door for the word that what? He may declare the mystery of Christ on the account for which I am in prison, that I may make clear how I ought to speak those it's the use of your words, your mouth, that you would make clear. In other words, I want you guys to know how to speak the gospel. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Chapter 10, verses 23-25. Um, this is a great one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For <clears throat> he who 
promise is faithful, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We have a calling, a mutual calling to one another to stir one another up to love and good words. And many times that's through words. Some of us think that we're not causing any problems because we're not talking to anybody. We just stand aside or we just sit down and we just, I don't know, we just contain ourselves. I want you to know that doesn't apply action to word to just say, hey, I have my in this parking lot. God wants us, our faith to be driven in such a way that we would speak the gospel, that we would encourage one another, that we would use every opportunity to use our mouth to encourage others. Um, when you come here, I would say make the most of the opportunity since you're here to encourage one another. Um, why? Because the day is what? Drawing near. And people have a bad habit of neglecting um, being together and gathering well for God's glory. Lastly, I'm going to give you a concept called bloom. It's not the women's ministry, but it happened in the women's ministry. But this is a concept I learned from Howard Hendricks, longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he says this in his teaching, The Law of Teachers, um, you need to learn how to encourage. And so he says that we are to pray firm people. And so it kind of looks like this. I remember a guy, his name was Nick back in San Jose. Um, I thought he was pretty short and like, I didn't know what God was going to do in his life. But when I became their youth pastor, I didn't know what was going to happen at this church. I just remember the kids were rich and they all had Mercedes and hand, the hand-me-down cars of their parents. I mean, their parents were making lots of money there. And I was like, had my own issues. Wow, all these kids have better cars than me. But I learned to get over that to a certain degree, maybe not perfectly. But I learned to say, hey, as the kids started coming to church, there's one guy who picked up guitar. And I said, wow, that's great that you're learning guitar. And when I see him the next time, I go, oh, you're making progress. Keep playing. Um, and so I'd encourage him more. I'd go, use a guitar to play Christian songs and to pray with other people. And I would take it further the next time. You're getting really good. Invite your sins. We have jam sessions. And maybe one day you'll pray for Jesus. And then later on, about six months later, he's praying for Jesus and he's leading our band. And many layers later, he's, he's a pastor. He helps equip people. And so that's just taking something small, developing, encouraging, and blowing it up. For, and that's just teaching. Some people may have this heart for service. And you're like, man, I really appreciate how you set up the chairs, the sign, and it grows. And like, it expands. And then one day they become a deacon in the life of the church. From a, a beginning servant to like, man, I'm going to care about the church and I'm going to be a deacon. Um, and just champion being a servant of the Lord.